Okay, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 is, is where we land today. So let me read that, and then we'll get started this morning. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Father, we thank You for today. We thank you that you have raised your son Jesus from the dead. Father, we glory and we celebrate today that our Lord Jesus is unstoppable, that he lives forevermore. We celebrate the resurrection life that we are connected to by faith. Father, we thank you that the most important things that could be done for us have been done. That they are finished. That they are accomplished by your grace and your mercy and your work through your Son on the cross. And Father, we celebrate life. God, help us to live it. God, we have one short, brief speck of a life right now. God, enable us to live that well. God, enable us to live that in a way that we will not regret for an eternity. God, enable us to live that in a way... That maximizes the impact for our great King. And God then, as we step into eternal life. Father, we so look forward to you fixing all this broken stuff. And being in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Thank you, Jesus, for that hope. Father, open our minds to see your glory today. God, we need to see it. Lift our eyes. Lift our face. Lift our gaze. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week, uh, we kind of took a great big chunk of chapter 2. And, and, and basically, in that, in that last big section of chapter 2, Paul is, is warning us about trying to be righteous, okay? Trying to be righteous in the wrong way. Try, trying to defeat sin in our life in the wrong ways. So he talked to us about this, this kind of, uh, of, of attempt to be righteous through legalism. Through lots of, of disciplined rules and being religious and comparing ourselves to others. And lots of don't do this, don't do that, don't touch. Try really, really, really hard, okay? Uh, now, now, the reason that that's super important is because probably the majority of the people on the planet are trying to be righteous that way. Okay, that, that's the predominant thought everywhere around the world is, okay, if I'm going to be righteous with God, if I'm going to find life, then I, I'm going to try really hard. I'm, I'm going to have these rules that I settle on in my mind. This is what it means to be righteous. This is what it means to be a good person. This is what it means to be right with God. And then I'm going to gut it out. And I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to find a lot of people who don't do it as well as I do because they'll make me feel better, Right? And I'll be able to compare myself to them. And, and, and that's the way that most people in the world try to find righteousness. And it is empty. It, it's busted. It's broken. It doesn't change the heart. You, you're not right with God in that way. You can't be right with God in that way. And really all you're doing in your own heart is kind of covering up one or two outlets of which sin gets out. And then it just gets out all the more in the other areas of your life. 
And, and, and so it doesn't change the heart. And so Paul says at the end of chapter 2, he says this is the last verse of chapter 2. Chapter two. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. This is verse 23, chapter 2. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see that? Paul says, man, these are of zero benefit in actually keeping us from sin. They don't, they don't work. It, it, it doesn't happen. And so the next question, I don't know about you, but the next question for me would be, okay, well, what does keep us from sin? What does change the heart? What does free us? Okay, that, that, that's the next question. And, and, and it's a question every believer ought to be asking because every follower of Jesus Christ doesn't want to sin, right? That's a common characteristic of everybody in this room who's a follower of Christ, who's joined to Jesus. Common characteristic is we, we don't want to sin. That, that's something that has, has forever changed in us in which we're, we, we don't want to sin anymore. All right? We, we, and the Bible says we won't sin anymore. We, we will be miserable in our sin. We won't live a life of continual, habitual rebellion against the Lord. And, and so, so the question becomes, all right, so how do I fight effectively against sin? How do I produce a practical righteousness in me? All right, so first couple, actually the whole of chapter 3 is about that, okay? But these first few verses in chapter 3 are super important in laying the foundation of how we continue on in the Christian life, okay? So, so basically what they do, the first four verses here of chapter 3, is they describe our position in Christ. Okay? So, so what has been done in me? What, what happened to Jesus? And then if I've been joined to that, what's happened to me? All right, that, that's what these first verses of chapter 3 kind of, kind of lay out for us. The, our position in Christ, what's happened to Jesus, what's happened to us, if you belong to Him. And, the, and these verses describe basically where we are to go, where we are to look for life, where we're to focus, what's coming for us in Christ. All right. So so let's begin that. All right. So all this other stuff doesn't really work. OK, what does work? All right. So verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. All right, so first of all, we've got to establish what's happened to Jesus and then how, how does that impact us, all right? So verse 1 lays it out very clearly. If then you have been raised with Christ. What, what has happened to Jesus? Jesus has been raised. He is alive, all right? Now, whenever you find out somebody's alive, the next question you're going to ask is, okay, well, where is he, Right? Where is he? Okay, he, he answers that question for us. He says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, that's not only a, a geographical answer, like where is he? Well, he's at the right hand of God. But it's more than that, a positional answer. The right hand of God basically means all authority, all power, all privilege in the universe belongs to Jesus. All right? So, he is alive. And where is he? He's at the right hand of God. What does that mean? It means all power, all authority, all privilege belong to him. Okay? If you've been raised with Christ. That is the fact. He was dead, right? He was dead. He died for our sins. The Jews falsely accused him. They condemned him. The Romans tortured him. They broke his body. They tore his flesh. They staked him to a cross. They gambled for his robe while he suffocated and bled to death. That is a historical fact. And then God laid on him your sin. 
Okay? At the end of his life there, God lays on Jesus your sin, your filth, your iniquity, your rebellion, your unbelief. And he is crushed by that. And Jesus died. And just to prove his death, the soldier pierced a spear underneath his ribcage and into his heart. And blood and water flowed, signifying that he was already dead. Jesus died. They took him down from the cross. And a man named Joseph of Arimathea wrapped his body in a burial shroud. And they put him in a tomb. And they sealed the tomb with a great stone. And then on Sunday morning, the first Easter, he rose from, a, from the dead. He rose with a power that is greater than a million sons. Jesus was brought to life. He is the creator and the sustainer of life. He conquered death. The power of God made him alive forevermore. Now, what does that mean? That means that death no longer has a claim on Jesus. It cannot touch him. He cannot die again. He is forever alive, forever blazing with resurrection power. When John sees him in the book of Revelation, he says his eyes blaze like a flame of fire and his face shone like the sun at full strength. He lives. What does that mean? That means he is unstoppable. It means he is invincible. It means he is uncontrollable. It means he is irrepressible. You cannot kill him. You can't defeat him. You can't thwart him. He is alive forevermore. And because he's alive, he's doing stuff, right? Like, like a lot of people, when they think he's alive, they just say, well, he's not dead. Well, no, alive means he's active, all right? He, he, he is doing stuff. He's at work. He's carrying out his plans. He is doing all the things he said he would do. Every promise in this book, he is right now making good on. It's going to be fulfilled. He is reigning and ruling and capturing the hearts of men. He is making them alive with his resurrection life. He is building his kingdom. He is defeating his enemies. And if you are joined to Jesus, then you're joined to this life. You see, these first four verses lay the foundation of, of who are we in Christ. Like the moment you, you turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus, everything changes and you've got to embrace that. You can't keep living like a dead man. You've got to embrace that you are you, you died with Christ and now you're raised with Him and you are joined to this Jesus, the Jesus I just described. And that changes everything in your life. You're connected to Him. You're tethered to Him in, in, in resurrection life. Remember last chapter, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God. So how does this happen? It happens by faith in the powerful working of God. And so when we, when we place our faith in all that, that God has accomplished through Jesus, that's the powerful working of God, all that He's accomplished through Jesus, when we embrace that by faith, we are connected, we are tethered, we are joined to Jesus Christ. Now, now are, are you beginning to see how different this is from try hard? Right? Like, 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 like the, most of the world, here's what I did for 18 years of my life. Try hard. You know? Just try to be good. I can't. Try to be good. I still can't. Try to be good. And it just doesn't work. Okay. That, that, that is substantially different than what we are finding here in Colossians 3. Colossians 3 says, no, here's what happened to Jesus. Here's who he is. And then if you put your faith in him, you're connected to Jesus. Right? You begin to share. You're tethered. You're plugged in to his resurrection God life. So a believer, a believer, let's define this. 
a believer, a Christian. So you, you figure out today whether you fall into the following definition. Okay, that's only you can know that, but you need to answer that. Okay, do, is this you? Okay, so a believer is someone who hears the gospel. The gospel just simply means the good news. The good news that God has sent His Son to live the perfect life, a life without sin, a life that we could not, have not, haven't even come close to living. Jesus lived it. And then He died a death that He did not deserve, but rather we deserved it. Jesus died for our sin. Our sin was placed on Him. He carried that weight. He was crushed with that guilt and with the pain and the misery and the iniquity of sin. He bore the wrath of God, something that none of us in this room know yet. If you don't know Christ, you will know it someday. Jesus bore that. And a believer is someone who realizes, look, I cannot save myself. I can't. I I can be better than other people. Sure. Hey, go pick somebody. Pick the worst one you know. And then, then compare yourself. You can do that. That means zero. All right? So, so, so a believer is someone who realizes, I can't save myself. I have no righteousness. Even the best things that I do are filthy before God. That's exactly what Isaiah the prophet says. The, the best things that I do on my own are, are, are filthy rags before the Father. I've got no good works. Everything I do is tainted with sin. A believer is someone who realizes that and they repent. Repent means you, you turn away from your sin. You turn away from your unbelief. And you embrace all that Jesus is. All that Jesus has done. All, all that He is. And you're like, there's where my life is. My life is, is in Him. That's my pursuit, that's my hope, that's my righteousness, that's my salvation. It's in Jesus, and, and, and you are trusting in Him, and you're pursuing Him. That's what it means to be a believer. And at that moment that you put your faith in Christ, you're joined to Jesus. You're connected forever to Jesus. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot of change, okay? So, so to begin to live out this new life, we have to start looking to Christ. All right, so does that make sense? So here's what Paul doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to to embrace Christ and all that He is and His resurrection life and and that you're joined to Him and then turn away from Jesus and come over here and make your pile of works and be like, okay, you know, I got to really really try to do this on my own. You know, I got to really try to impress my friends. I got to really be better than the other people. Paul doesn't want you to do that. What he wants you to do is he says, okay, first and foremost, you need to lift your eyes. You need to be looking at Jesus. You know, a real great question from this text is, who were you looking at this week? I think the majority of people in the world are probably looking at themselves. They're looking at other people. Or they're looking at, why do I have a bad deal? Or why isn't my deal better than other people's? Or, man, my deal is better than... I mean, most people... No, no, no. Paul says, stop doing that. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Right, Paul, Paul wants us, this very first step in, in sanctification, to, to lift our gaze and look at Jesus and begin to embrace this, what I would call the spiritual realities of who He is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. It says, so that in the coming ages... Whoops, that's not right. Man, I gave you the wrong verse. All right, verse, let's just read verse 4. We'll read this whole passage. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. There it is. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him. It was verse 6. And seated us in Him, with Him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
Alright, so, so this, this passage in Ephesians tells us, you are seated with Jesus. Alright, now, now I just want to ask you believers, is that the way you saw yourself this week? See, Paul says that, that's, that's step one. Is you gotta stop seeing yourself as the old you. And you, you have to start embracing, no, 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 I am seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. Alright, so, so Paul says in verse 1 here, If then you've been raised with Christ, so if that's happened, if you've been connected with Jesus, and then you're raised with Him, and He is raised, He's resurrected forevermore, then seek the things that are above. Now, what are the things that are above? Well, it's these spiritual realities. Alright, it's, it's what's real. It's, it's what's truly happened. That Christ is raised. He's at the right hand of God. I'm joined to Him. Therefore, my life is in Him. Paul says, begin to... See yourself in that way. Seek the things that are above. Things that are above actually are in contrast to, we'll get here next week, but verse 5, if you'll keep reading here in Colossians 3, says, put to death therefore what is earthly. See that word earthly? So that, that's the opposite of things above. Okay, So put to death what is earthly in you. And then he gives this long list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Basically, all these things that are contrary to the will of God, that are contrary to the promises of God, contrary to the word of God. The, the, those things are sin. So things above would include things that are consistent with Christ's character and His mission. Qualities that are His, that are pleasing to Him. The, the, the qualities of Jesus. Things like love and peace and grace and mercy and justice and humility and kindness and compassion and friendship and courage. Those, those, are, those are all examples of things above. So seek those things. Seek is a word that means find something. In other words, you're looking for it. So Paul's like, okay, here's the beginning of the Christian life. You know what you do? You begin to seek those things that are about. You look for them. You hunt them. A lot of you are going to hunt Easter eggs today. And some of you will try to put a spiritual spin on that. You know, you'll, you'll try to figure out, okay, guys, the rabbit, the rabbit's like uh, uh, the sacrificial lamb. They're both furry. And, you know, okay, don't just, just quit that. If you want to hunt eggs, go hunt eggs, whatever. But, but listen. If you want a spiritual application to it, here, here it is, okay? Paul says, you need to hunt for the things that are above. That's what you ought to be doing. You, you, ought, you ought to be looking. What does that imply? Con, consistent effort. Man, you're, you're looking, you're looking, you're, 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 you're seeking. You're saying, God, I want to know about this life that I'm now connected with. I want to know about it. Listen, if, if somebody comes to you today and says, hey, by the way, you know, think you're a great person, love you. Here's what I've done. I've got a condo in Vail, you know. Here, here's the deed to it. I'm signing it over to you right now. There you go. You know what you're going to do when you go home? I know what you're going to do. You're going to get on the internet and you're going to type in Vail, Colorado, right? And you're going to type in condos. And you're going to type in that address. And you're going to go to that Google section on, on Google Maps where it has the street view. And you, aren't you? Are you going to do that? How many are you going to put that in your pocket and be like, well, great, we've got a condo in Vail now. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about Vail, but, you know, hey, we'll figure that out someday. You will not. In fact, I would bet a hundred bucks most of you would be looking at it on your phone before the sermon ends, right? I mean, if that happened just already, you're not listening to me. you got your phone out and you're like, it's my Bible app, you know, and you're like, hey, Vail, Colorado. You know, you are hunting, right? You're seeking. Alright, so what I just, what Paul just told you that if you're joined to Jesus, you're seated in the heavenlies. I mean, literally, like it's yours. You're joined to Jesus and His resurrection power. Why aren't we like, man, I'm going to hunt this down. What do I have here? What's been done for me? What's ahead for me? 
He says, verse 1, seek the things that are above. Look at verse 2. He says it again. All right? Look how important it must be. Two times. Two verses. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. All right? Now, now again, it, it's, it's a different word, but, it, but it's the same sort of thing. He, he says, relentlessly, habitually, push your mind to the heavenly realities. That's what, that's what set your mind means. It means you've got to move your mind. Be preoccupied with the eternal, with the kingdom, with the heavens. Okay, this is a conscious determination to think about heavenly things. Set your mind. Move your mind onto the heavenly realities of the kingdom of God. Guys, this is where sanctification begins. You want to be free from your sin? You want to stop doing those things that you hate? If you're a believer, you do, okay? If you're not a believer, hey, I was there. I, I didn't care that much. I didn't want to go to hell, but all, all, everything else is just kind of flat on, on me. All right, but if you're a believer here, you don't want to sin. All right, Paul is telling you, first thing you got to do, you got to get a hold of your mind, and you got to move it to, to Christ. you got to move it to the spiritual realities. Yeah, you, you, you have control. I, I know our mind has all kinds of weird thoughts. I know we get the devil does junk with it. and I, I understand that. We get these random things. But, but what's also true is you can move your mind. You can't. You have that ability. And so, so Paul is telling you, you've got to relentlessly do that. It's, it's going to always float back in the wrong direction because you're, you're living in a broken body. But you, by faith, you've got to keep shifting it back. You've you, you got to set your mind on things above. Because here's the reality. What you relentlessly think about has a deep and abiding impact on your life. True? Huh? Well, I mean, what you set your mind on has deep implications on your emotions. It has deep implications on what you love. What you set your mind on affects your decisions and your values. Here's what a lot of people are going to say of the things above. They're just not real to me. I I bet you if if we had an honest survey... A lot of folks would say, you know, it's just not real to me, Pastor. I know you talk about Christ and the heavens and the resurrection power and the glory to come and the Holy Spirit and the kingdom, you know, scattering on on the world. But those things just aren't real to me, Pastor. You know, my job, it's real, man. It's pressing on me. My phone's, you know, buzzed me ten times while I've been in here. People want stuff. That's what's real to me. You know, money, it's real to me, man. We're strapped right now. The oil fell's down. Our production is way down. Man, that's what's real to me. Traveling, that's real to me, man. We really want to go here and there. and My, my problems, they're real. You know why those things are real? Because you think about them all the time. True? Why are they more real? Because you think about them. Why do they shape your mood? Why are you happy or sad based on those things? Why, 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 why does your level of joy, why is it determined based on your job and your money and your, your shopping and your travel and your problems? Why do you pour your time and energy? Because your mind is set on them. And Paul is saying, as believers, something incredible has happened. Something that ought to cause you now to relentlessly move your mind. Listen, if you find yourself without any power in your spiritual life, and you keep falling into the same things over and over again, it's because you're not moved your mind. You're not relentlessly setting your mind on things above. And listen, why would we not do that? Question, are they not interesting? Things above, are they not interesting? Are they not engaging? Are they not thought-provoking? Are they not exciting? I mean, really, for real, like God steps out of the heavens into human flesh, lives a perfect life, is brutally beaten, tortured, scored, staked to a cross, to die in humiliation, 
in utter misery. He's buried in a tomb. Then on the third day, he raises from the dead. That's not engaging. And when I say raises from the dead, not like zombie raises from the dead. Like, you know, he's, he's dragging himself out of the tomb, you know. And, and he's wheezing. He's got the death rattle in his lungs. He's like, get me to the hot. Not that kind of raises from the dead. Like unstoppable, glorious power appears at will. Resurrection body raises from the dead. And then he proclaims resurrection to all who are joined in by faith. Is there not something engaging about that? Is there not something to dream about? I mean, the God-man, the perfect human. Love, power, creativity, grace, mercy, adventure, glory, to the fullest extent, to the farthest degree. Psalm 16, says, to be in His presence, fullness of joy. Like it tops out pleasures forevermore, to the furthest degree. That's in Jesus. Is that not something to roll around in your head? Or is the cooking channel more important? Is what nachos goes with which cheese? Is that, is that more engaging? Is that more interesting? A new world, a new power, new bodies, bodies that don't die, bodies that can't die, minds that don't think sinful thoughts, tongues that don't say hurtful things, the world made over perfect, a new city coming out of the heavens like a bride adorned for her husband, mission, worship, service, work, relationships, all perfected by righteousness of Jesus surging in our veins. Is there nothing there to ponder? Is there nothing there to memorize, meditate, dream about? Speak to others about? Explore? Here's the thing, Christians. All right, let's get down to real practical. When we give relentless effort to seeing the glory of Christ, here's what we find. Sin loses its appeal. Okay? Now, how many believers want that? How many, how many believers, like, what you want is, man, I just, I, I want sin to lose its appeal. Like, instead of this, this, this lifetime of... Okay, try real hard, try real hard, fail. Try real hard, try, fail. Try. Instead of that, isn't what we want? I, to not, I don't want to sin. That's what I want. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, how do you stop craving Oreos? Say you got a box of Oreos at your house. I, I can give you a surefire way. Like, for real. You want 100%? Here's the 100% way. I will not eat one of those Oreos in the box. You know, you, you want to hear it? This, this works. Ready? Ready? If Emma makes chocolate layer dessert and has that always available for me, I will never eat an Oreo again. It's true. I mean, for real, like, I don't want them. Like, when I look at the Oreo, I'm like, I don't want one of those. I want chocolate layer dessert. I mean, the way to never want an Oreo is get something better. You see? That, that's how we do it. We, we, when you realize and embrace there is something better, your appetite changes. You don't want that anymore. It's junk. It doesn't satisfy. You know what Paul was doing? Listen to how Paul describes his life. Philippians 3.10. Here's his goal, that I may know him, know Jesus. He's on a relentless quest to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, being like him in his death. Paul said, man, I want to know him. I want to feast on him. My friends, here's where the power is. The power comes in seeing the glory of God. 
When you, when you see the glory of God, sin is not appealing. I know it's a verse we use all the time, so I'm going to use it again. This is one of our theme verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, are beholding, we're seeing the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What that essentially says is this. A believer sees the glory of Jesus, he's transformed. He sees more glory, he's transformed. He sees more glory, he's transformed. He sees more glory. That's the Christian life. The more I see of Jesus, the more I am changed on the inside. Okay, so now does it make perfect sense why Paul says, Man, you've been raised with Christ. Put your mind on things above. See Him. Hunt for Him. Hunt for Him. You see how different this is? Okay. I know we're picking on Oreos. This actually isn't an Oreo. I got this out of the freezer. I remembered I saw them in the freezer. It's a generic Oreo. It's called uh, Twist and Shout, I think is what it's called. Great value Twist and Shout, but we're going to say it's an Oreo. All right, all right. So here's how most people try to battle sin. Okay, are you ready? Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Don't. Right? That's, that's how we do it, right? Tony, have you been eating Oreos? Huh? I haven't. I haven't touched one. You know what? I haven't even smelled one. You know what? I've walked around my whole day with my nose like this, so I don't even get a sniff. Have you done that, Tony? Huh? Well, I guess I'm more righteous than you. Huh? Because I don't, I don't even smell Oreos. In fact, we had a brown Frisbee. I threw it away because I, I don't even want anything that looks like an Oreo, Tony. Hate Oreos. Don't touch it. Okay. That's not very effective. You know why it's not very effective? What am I thinking about? Yeah. That's not very effective. Whereas our focus is not on Jesus. Okay, so here's what Paul's saying. Man, put your eyes on things above. And, and as you see the glory of the resurrected Christ, you know, what, you know what begins to happen? You forget that dude's even there. And, and, and the more you see of his glory, the, the, less, the less appealing it even looks. And, and the more truth you see, and, and the more you realize that that's a deceitful desire, and it doesn't really satisfy, and it, 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 it offers you a bunch, it never gives you anything. And you become more and more convinced of that, and the more and more you see Christ. Verse 3 says, For you've died. You've died and your life is hidden in in Christ. It's it's hidden with Christ in God. Now, what's Paul doing there? You've died. Again, you've been joined to Jesus. It's this whole union thing, spiritual reality. What happened when you, when you were joined to Jesus? You died. Okay, now, now, the really cool thing about you being joined to Jesus and joined to his death is this. You, you, can't be, you can't be prosecuted for your crime, right? If someone murders somebody in America and they condemn them and they have a trial and they're prosecuted and they put them in jail and their death sentence comes about and they put them in the electric chair and they strap them down and, and they throw the switch and they kill them, are they ever punished again? They are not, right? It's done. It's de- it, Okay, 
You were joined to Jesus. Jesus was punished for your sin. He died and he took it. You, you can't be punished anymore. Okay, but, but even beyond that, I think Paul's point here, when he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, is you've, you've died to sin. Look, you're, you're done with that old world. In fact, in Galatians, there's this cool verse. Galatians 6.14, and it says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Did you hear that? The world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. In other words, the world no longer holds out any promise of satisfaction or fulfillment or life from me. I mean, I'm completely convinced my life is not there. Does that make sense? My life's not there. It doesn't have anything for me. I know I'm always picking on Hobby Lobby. I'm sorry, because I know they're a Christian company, and I know they have, uh, they have you know, Christian owners, and they've taken a great stand for everything, and, and, I, and that's great. And so you guys shop there and everything, but here's what I'm convinced of when I drive by Hobby Lobby. I'm convinced that there is nothing in there for me, okay? And, and the reason that I'm convinced of that is, is I've tried it. Like, I've tried. I've looked. I, me and I, I walked all around in there while Emma was shopping, trying to find something interesting to look at. There is nothing in there for me. And so I'm done with it. Like, I'm, I'm great with Emma going. I'm great with her. She wants to spend money there. That's fine. And make our house not. Whatever. That's great. You guys go. Why? You've, you're happy. Good. But here's what, when I see the sign, I, there's nothing there for me. That's what Paul's saying about sin. He's saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm dead to that. Like, I, dude, it, it, it doesn't hold out any promise for me anymore. I've died to it. That's the way we should feel about the world. We believe Jesus. We trust Jesus. Hey, we're leaving this place. We're packing up. All this stuff's on the downhill slide. It's fading. It's not really going to get better here. This is not permanently where we're going to be. Most of us in this room aren't going to get healthier. We aren't going to get younger. We aren't going to get stronger or smarter. Sin has tainted this world. It's broken. For many of us, the Word of God has convinced us there's nothing there for us. There's nothing here for us. So where's our life at? Well, our life is, those verse 3, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Where's our life? It's, it's with Christ. It's hidden with Christ. No, Notice hidden. Why hidden? Because it says that, you know what? People without faith can't see it. So 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. They're foolishness to him. You're not able to understand them. They're spiritually discerned. Right? So, so we understand that. It's hidden with Christ and that the, the world can't understand that. But here's what we're convinced of. We're convinced that here's the world. Okay, we'll put sin in there. That's got nothing for me. Like, I'm not going to look there anymore. Okay, but, but here's what we're convinced, in, convinced of. Our, our life is rather, it's hidden with Christ and God. So, so here's where I'm seeking my life. Uh, here's, what, here's where I'm pursuing. Here's what I'm setting my mind. So I'm going I'm to continually do this. I'm going to shift my mind away from the world and to Christ. Because here's what I'm convinced. What am I going to find in here? Joy. What am I going to find in here? Pleasure. What am I going to find in here? Life. I'm, I'm convinced of that. This is where Jesus is. This is Jesus. <laughs> I'm going I'm to find it in here. So I'm going to continually shift my attention there. Last thing, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So, so what's that mean? That means that He's coming back. 
He's coming back. Revelation 19. He, he's alive. And man, he, this, is, this is what we're getting ready for. Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, White and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back. And when he comes back. My life's in him. Right? I go with Him. I'm joined to Him. My life's in Him. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we'll see Him as He is. Man, whenever I get that glimpse of Jesus Christ coming on the white horse, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be changed. This is going to go away. Amen. That's going to go away. It's away. No more. And we'll share Christ's glory. You know, I I wish I had a little more time because I'd love to just talk about that. I don't know exactly how all that's going to happen. You could just think, well, we're going to get heaven. I think it's more than that. I think actually that Jesus' glory is going to somehow like blaze through us. Man, we'll, we'll talk about it some other time. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly, but from what the Scriptures say, it does seem like there's something there. Like, more than just we go to heaven where He's at, but like, like His glory blazing through us. Man, you know what that's called, my friends? You know what it's called when you have this, this great expectation of this really cool thing that's going to happen? It's called hope. Hope. That's what we have today because of Jesus' resurrection. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, God, to uh, lift our eyes above. Father, I pray that we would not try to fight against sin by being a good person or rules or traditions or discipline. But God, I pray that you would do something much better. God, change us from the inside. God, so captivate us with Jesus that we we won't be interested in sin anymore. It won't deceive us anymore. It won't hold out any promise for us. Lord Jesus, I pray, reveal yourself to us. Show us your glory. You are alive. We celebrate that today. In Christ's name, amen.